You're listening to LifeWords Q&A with Andrew Morris, David Ray. Thank you so much for your company. We've got another three very interesting questions revolving around life and faith. And uh, let's get stuck into it. David, thanks for joining us yet again. Thanks, Andrew. Well, David, today on the show, uh, we're going to be talking about, I guess, uh, Christmas, which is very interesting. I guess evil spirits, which, uh, again, it's coming up soon. But the first question, an ongoing issue that we talk about regularly, which is the subject of forgiveness. I just can't forgive my stepfather for all he's done to me and others. Does this mean God can't forgive me? Yeah, you're right. It's a big issue. Forgiveness is about one of the biggest recurring issues we ever have to discuss. Now, look, I'm assuming this questioner has got a pretty serious issue regarding stepfather. Um, and the Bible does seem to link our forgiveness of others with God's forgiveness of us. Forgive us our sins as, as um, um, we forgive those who've sinned against us and so on. Uh, so there is a link, and I think that's a legitimate question. However... Forgiveness is a very hard and painful thing and is a process. And I, 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 I don't think we just simply forgive, like in this person's case, right, I forgive my stepfather for all that's happened, that's it, full stop, let's move on. I, I don't think it's quite as simple as that. It's a journey. It's a process. It's not just a one-off event. And I think I've said in maybe in answer to an earlier question about this, if ever we find forgiveness as easy or a piece of cake, Chances are we haven't really forgiven because mm-hmm. it is painful. Now, I, I, want to, I want to encourage and assure this questioner that you're at least aware of the issue. And this awareness suggests that you're struggling with the issue rather than simply refusing to even begin the journey. So I would want to encourage you, I want to say a little bit more, but, but I'd, first of all, I want to encourage you to say, hey, because you're wrestling with this, because it's a problem to you, it means that I think you are struggling to forgive, and I don't think that God is despising you because of that. You see, I think someone who says, uh, I'm not even going to begin the journey, couldn't care less, written me stepfather off, and all I want to do is to get back in him all my days, I think that's a problem. Uh, and it yeah. reflects the fact that perhaps you haven't received something of the grace of God yourself. But if you're struggling with forgiveness, well, that's normal. You'd expect that because it is a painful and hard thing. So I suspect the questioner is probably in a healthier position, although it's an uncomfortable position, but it's a healthier position than what they might imagine because perhaps there's a misunderstanding of forgiveness behind it. As I said, forgiveness is not just a one-off quick event and it's not becoming best friends with that person or about excusing what has happened. Some people figure, well, I've never forgiven that person because I'm not best friends with them or, mm. or, or I haven't forgotten about what they've done or so on and so on. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is far more about refusing to hit back and it's allowing to let God deal with it. It's basically saying, I'm not going to let that hurt, which I admit is very painful and very real, to t- dictate to my life and distort it. That's what forgiving your stepfather is all about to say over a period of time and it does take a while to say i'm not going to let what you've done to me distort my life and shape my life forever and i'm not going to be overcome with thoughts of getting back at you i'll let god deal with that justice issue and the other important thing to say is that it doesn't mean necessarily reconciliation you, if, if the faults, if the sins that the stepfather has committed are very, very serious, it may be there's never, ever reconciliation because that stepfather may not be able to repent of what he's done or may not be willing to repent of what he's done. You see, forgiveness only takes you to make the offer and to begin that painful journey. Reconciliation 
well, that takes two people and you've got no control over that because not even God's reconciled to everyone. Yeah. Uh, I guess some practical ways of, uh, of learning to forgive. I'm sure you, you've got a minister or counsellors or, or people in your life that can help possibly give you some tips on how to forgive. David, what would you suggest uh, are some first steps that you can do in that process? Well, yeah, I, I think you've made a good point there, uh, that that you talk to other people, you share your struggle, your journey. You don't have to sh- um, share the details of the, of the wounds and the hurts and so on, but you share that struggle because I, I would hope that other Christians can get alongside and say to you very much what I'm saying is, look, it's a long and painful process and it's not easy, but come on, let's make Let's make the journey together. Um, little practical things you can do is to, and this 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 is the answer, a real challenge, but it's it's possible through the grace of God to start praying for that person who has hurt you. That's assuming they're still alive. If they're dead, well, that's a different matter. But if they're still alive, to pray that God's grace would get through to them, and to also um, whether they're dead or alive, to pray for yourself. That God, when that wound, when that when that image of that hurt, that memory of that hurt comes, may I, I not, not may I not bury it or deny it? That that that's very harmful. No, you're not going to be able to do that. But may I immediately, perhaps, apply a scripture to that, a helpful, encouraging scripture. May I immediately replace that very hurtful, painful thought with a good, noble, honourable and true thought, as Paul talks about in Philippians. Whatever is good, honourable, true, think about that. So there's an element of mind control here. You're not going to stop the hurt and the wound coming into into your mind, but you can stop it actually dominating you if you seek to replace that very wounded feeling with some good ones as well. That That doesn't resolve or solve the whole issue, but it allows you to keep some sort of perspective. Otherwise, what you end up doing is going over and over and over the hurt and that quite literally that means resentment resentment means to re-feel something over and over again and resentment's not going to get you anywhere satan will always have you saying oh you were dreadfully hard done by sort of you chew over it and really get angry at that person no 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 that's not going to help you because all that'll do is to bury you further in the pit so through the help of others through the help of meditating on scripture start as soon as the negative things come, start replacing them or balancing them with more um, with more helpful things, and to realise that yes, forgiveness is very very hard, and yes, there will be setbacks, and to resist the evil one when he says, "Well, bad luck, you you're not forgiving your stepfather, therefore God doesn't forgive you." As I said. That's actually not true because what's happened is you haven't got to the end of the road with forgiveness yet. You haven't reached the end of the road, at which point you can say, my stepfather, I wish him well. You may come to the end of that road in many years. You may never come to it. But as long as you are on the road, I think you're in a reasonable position and I don't think it's any any cause for you to doubt the fact that you've been forgiven by God. You see, it's one thing to say, I refuse to forgive my stepfather and will never forgive him, which is a dangerous statement, although understandable. But it's a very different thing to say, I just can't seem to forgive. I'm finding it hard. That's different. That's actually puts you back into the arms of the grace of God and says, help. Thanks, David. You're listening to LifeWords Q&A with David Ray, Andrew Morris, and you can email your questions, lifewords at hopemedia.com.au. 
Uh, one of the key things, David, I guess, with all these uh, topics and questions are to, one of the freeing aspects of it is to actually talk to someone about these kind of things that are in your head and to let your thoughts, because often, I guess, the devil and, and your own thoughts can just really uh, blow things out of proportion when they just stay inside your head. But when you open it up and actually share what's going on with people, it sort of it, it does release something, doesn't it? Yes. You, look, you bring in you you, you bring your thoughts into the open. That's why God's put us in ch- churches. I'm not talking about Sunday gatherings. It's why God's put us into his body. We need the help of other people. And you see, one of the reasons we struggle with so many of these issues is we think we're alone. Uh, this person who is worried about forgiveness or this person who's worried about homeschooling, whatever the issue is, oh, I'm all alone in this. I tell you what, no, you're not. If you belong to an authentic Christian community, and sadly not all are, but an authentic Christian community uh, where you can open up a bit more, then then you will find that other Christians have the same struggles as you are, and that's an enormously reassuring thing. And the other thing I'd say, those who are in churches, seek out the help of your pastor and so on. I bump into a lot of people who say, oh, I'll never bother my minister or my pastor, he's too busy. Well, I tell you what, if your minister or pastor is too busy to help you with these issues, find another minister or pastor, to be honest, because that's their job. That's their calling. That's what they're invite. That's what God invites them to do. So if they're too busy doing other things, planning big church things, and are not prepared to spend time with you sorting out some of these questions, I, 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 I'd be very, very, very concerned about that. Because believe me, many pastors and ministers struggle with these very questions. Our second work. Our second question, David, is: I've been told I might have an evil spirit. Can Christians be demon possessed? Well, there's two aspects to that um, question. Um, first of all, I can just sort of knock one on the head straight away. Can Christians be demon-possessed? I, I think I'd have to be pretty categorical and say no. Um, a Christian has the Holy Spirit, and I can't for the life of me, even though incidentally the influence of the Holy Spirit comes and goes as we sort of quench the Spirit as we do, uh, so we're not perfect, but we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and therefore I don't really understand how we can be possessed by the evil one and yet Christians can be deeply affected by the evil one and some Christians in some traditions describe this as evil spirits or demons getting attached to Christians now people might agree or disagree with that but whatever we think of this I would not call a demon possession in certain traditions of the Christian church that's more called demonization it's that is you are influenced by an evil spirit rather than possessed by an evil spirit. Yeah. Now, 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 of course, some Christians would say evil spirits, a whole lot of rubbish, you know, they were back then, certainly not now. But I wouldn't be quite so sure about that. I, I think we can open the door to evil spirits by willful involvement in the occult, for example. And the evil one's prowling around, yeah. and he's, as it were, just as might God send angels to minister to us, and that's, that's another question we could answer at some stage, um, perhaps the evil one uh, has his own evil angels, as it were, uh, who can... And, uh, come in and create havoc in our lives. Um, uh, other Christians would say, no, 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 no. We are more. We are generally tempted and affected by the devil, but we're not specifically invaded by evil spirits. And uh, so there are sort of schools, different schools of thought on that. Um, now, the one thing I really want to be careful of here is that 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 we need to be careful not to label every weakness or every problem or every sin a case of having an evil spirit. Some people who get cancer, they've been told, oh, you have the spirit of cancer or something. And I think, well, that's probably 
going a bit far, and it's particularly dangerous to ignore deep psychological problems and simply label them demonic. I mean, you can get into awful trouble if you are ministering to people who've got serious psychological illnesses or disturbances and simply label them as evil spirits. Yeah. But however, at the same time, I, I personally, for one, would acknowledge that the evil one is gleefully exploiting such things. And I'm sure if there's Christians out there who and others who are struggling with mental illness, for example, I would not just simply say, oh, well, that's a demonic full stop. Yep. No, that's too simple. But at the same time, I'd certainly want to say the evil one is, as it were, rubbing his hands with glee in trying to distort that person's humanity and trying to exploit those mental illnesses just as she can exploit a physical illness. Um, so, so again, we're trying to get a balance here, are we not? I would not want to dismiss such evil spirits as first century nonsense. Uh, I think there can be such a thing as an evil spirit latching onto a Christian and exploiting that Christian. Uh, I don't want us to be ignorant of the power and the cunning of the evil one. But at the same time, I would want to stay very clear of 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 diagnosing someone having an evil spirit just because they are experiencing some sort of illness, mental or physical, or they're just simply struggling in life. Uh, the, yeah, the whole issue of, I guess, um, light and darkness and angels and demons, all that kind of stuff, it does seem fairy tale like for us in the Western church. I guess if you ask Christians in developing countries in Asia, in Africa, they will very quickly tell you, David, oh, yeah, there is spiritual powers that we don't understand. And we've, over time, dismissed them or isolated ourselves, I guess, from that whole issue, David, haven't we, in the Western Church? Yes, many, many, many missionaries will come back to what we might call the more conservative, sceptical um, Christian churches in our own uh, city and will be quite surprised that um, the Christians back here um, rubbish the idea of evil spirits. They've actually seen them. And perhaps they are more predominant where there's a wider exposure to witchcraft, paganism and the occult and so on. Maybe that's the case. But there's also exposure to those things within our so-called civilised societies here. So I think it would be very, very dangerous to um, downplay the reality of evil spirits and demons, just as, of course, it, it is It is very wrong to um, over-exaggerate. I think I'm reminded of C.S. Lewis's statement in his preface to the Screwtape Letters, where he said there are two equal and opposite errors we make about the devil, and paraphrasing him, one is that we make too much fuss of him, mm. and the other is we ignore him. Now, of course, if we ignore him, uh, what we are doing is allowing him to sort of rummage around in the darkness in the hidden world, and literally the word occult, means hidden and secret um, and if we ignore him or dismiss him we allow him to play havoc um, perhaps through evil spirits and demons but then again if we overemphasize that dimension of things we are basically putting him in the spotlight we are as it were putting him up on a pedestal as it were and say hey you know uh, look 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 at him look at him and I don't think we should do either so look it is an extremely difficult um, balance to observe here and that's why I think people sadly sometimes go to one extreme or the other Every problem that a Christian's got is de a, a, a demon or evil spirit. Or the other extreme, oh, demons and evil spirits. No, we don't talk about that very much. I think in the end, we've got to have that balance. And I think any individual Christian who feels troubled by the fact that they might have an evil spirit should submit it to much honest and searching prayer before God uh, and perhaps to find some wise Christian counsellors around the place who can um, help them sort this out um, and, 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 and then to come 
come to a conclusion of, Lord, is this a matter where there is a specific evil spirit that um, might be assailing me, attacking me through some particular exposure I've had to the occult in particular? Or is this just something that I am battling with like most Christians um, battle with? And just in passing too, I, I would actually avoid the phrase evil spirit or demon as much as possible when I'm talking to Christians who are troubled about this because it does rouse all this spooky sort of stuff, as it were, um, um, people rolling around frothing at the mouth and all this sort of thing. And yep. it, it, it it's not that at all. Um, but we need to be aware, very much aware of the evil one, but not giving too much prominence. You're listening to LifeWords Q&A, Andrew Morris, David Ray. If you've got a question or a follow-up question, please email us, lifewords at hopemedia.com.au. Great to have your company. Our final question for this uh, today's episode is, some people seem to suggest that the whole Christmas story is just a legend. Could it just be a story rather than a piece of history, David? Well, yes, yeah, some people, uh, including incidentally some people who study the Bible a lot uh, think think that a lot of the Bible is just make-believe, including the Christmas story. Um, I think Christians would think otherwise. Um, I think there are good solid grounds for believing uh, the historicity of the Christmas story. I mean, it, 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 it's a bit of a problem when we say, well, this couldn't have happened, that can't have happened, um, because we can't believe it can happen, therefore it didn't happen. I think that's to make us the final judges of what is possible and what is not. But we live in a world that's made by God, not made by us. So I, 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 I don't like the, the fault mode which some people have is, oh, if I can't explain it, uh, or if it doesn't normally happen, therefore it can't have happened. Mm. I don't like that. But I've also got to say that the Bible does contain metaphor and poetry. Uh, and it was not written according to our modern standards of scientific accuracy. This is something perhaps uh, for another time, but many parts of the Bible were written to record historical events, but the recording of those historical events is not quite what we would think. And if they say 10,000 fell in a single day, it might be their way of saying lots of people died mm. um, rather than us counting them laboriously going through a statistical count of how many people died in a battle and so on. Uh, and that that's not to say that the Bible's not true or not the Word of God. It just means that it was written in a certain culture according to certain standards, which may not conform to our standards. Now, when we look at the Christmas story, I think we're looking at the recording of historical events, but tinged with the miraculous. It took place, the birth of Jesus, within a certain time frame. And incidentally, um, the time frame was probably 4 BC, about 4 or 5 BC. That's one of the ironies of the calendar, that we think Jesus was born about five five years before Christ. Yeah. Um, virgin births, bright stars which move. Well, some people want to explain them away, but... but if you believe in a miracle-working God who raised Jesus from the dead, they're not necessarily a great uh, problem with faith. But look, I reckon when it comes to Christmas, I think Christians themselves distort Christmas. I think Christians can be guilty of of making the Christmas story a bit, as it were, legendary. You see, we sanitise it and we cleanse it. Um, you know, that, that, that Mary looks a million dollars, you know, just after Jesus was born. Jesus looks about six months old when he yeah. was born. I mean, the straw is beautifully clean. The animals have got almost smiles on their faces. Um, give it a break. Um, the nativity wasn't pretty. It was messy and dirty. Uh, we assume three wise men. The Bible doesn't say there were three wise men, just as there were wise men. They bought three gifts. We forget they were Persian star worshippers. They were astrologers. They yep. were people we might not have wanted to have anything to do with now. Uh, we make shepherds coming in all gloriously dressed. Um, shepherds were the down and outs of society. They were the dregs. 
And so this is an interesting part of the story, is it not? That that Jesus first appeared, as it were, before pagan astrologers, uh, incidentally, who came you know sometime after his birth, and shepherds who were there at his birth, who were the outcasts of society. Very interesting in the light yep. of what happened in Jesus' um, later ministry. Um, so I, I, all I'm saying there is we can contribute to the cultural myths surrounding Christmas and when I have once or twice in churches over the years sort of tried to point some of these things out, some Christians have protested and said, oh, you're spoiling Christmas. No, I'm not. I'm actually spoiling this cultural recasting of Christmas into something pretty and nice. It was not pretty and nice. I think it's best to get back to the bare basics of Scripture. And when we get back to the bare basics of Scripture in terms of the Christmas story, it says so little. So much of what we celebrate about Christmas is actually additional to what the scriptures say. Well, David, I think you've just uh, broken down my image of Christmas. <laughs> good, good, good. <laughs> uh, I think, uh, yeah, it's amazing how we, we, we even the church, uh, through nativity scenes and, and the like, and through obviously marketing and commercialism, we do get a distorted picture of, of the nativity and, and the Christmas message and, and the Christmas imagery, don't we? Yes, we do. And, and we confuse the imagery with the reality. Look, there, there, there's, look. There's, there's nothing wrong in kids' nativity plays and all this sort of thing and singing Christmas carols and, and personally it might be one for another answer but I don't think there's anything wrong with Santa Claus either to be honest. I mean, nothing wrong with all that. Um, but hey, you know, that that's all sort of cultural stuff um, and um, what I'm trying to do is to say do not pretty up Christmas and sentimentalise Christmas to such a degree that you lose the wonder of the incarnation that God became a human being in a most unhygienic, unsterile, uh, out-of-the-way place, um, witnessed his birth witnessed to by pagan astrologers, by down-and-out shepherds, and are being opposed even from his birth by a murderous Herod. Um, Christmas was not at all neat and tidy and mm. lovely, and we tend to make it out that way. And and yes, when it comes to uh, the appeal to children and so on, I can well understand that we don't tell children the story of Herod wiping out little 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 infants in Bethlehem. Of course, we don't. Um, but at the same time, as adults, I think we've got to get to a point of saying, look, uh, let's not let's not add to the culturalization or the cultural myths surrounding Christmas that society have embedded it with. Um, um, rather, uh, let's get back to what the scriptures say. And the scriptures don't say very much about it. They're far more concerned with the ongoing meaning of the incarnation rather than the facts of the incarnation. Getting back to the original question, I would not want to question the fact that I think what happened there really did happen. But I think we have sometimes read too much into the biblical account. We've, there's no record of Jesus being born in a stable. Yeah. Um, um, there's no record of them knocking on the door of an inn and the innkeeper saying, sorry, there's no room, although we can sort, sort of imply that. The wise men weren't there at Jesus' birth. They were probably there much later on and so on and so on and so on. So we, we, we can pretty things up and, and we have embellished the biblical story to such a degree and gone along with it that I think it can contribute to people generally thinking, oh, well, it's just it's a nice story. It's not such a nice story. It's a very dramatic story 
told very, very briefly because, in a sense, the biblical writers and therefore God himself was thinking, yes, I, I, I do need to record that my son was born into this world, but hey, what's really important is what he did when he grew up because mm. we must never forget the little baby Jesus didn't stay baby Jesus. You've been listening to LifeWords Q&A, and that is it. Thank you very much for your company over the um, past 20 minutes or so, and we'll join you soon. David, again, thanks very much. Thanks very much, Andrew.